Welcome, and thanks for tuning in to the Watermark OC Church Sunday Message. Watermark is a generational community that is crazy passionate about starting a conversation about God, your relationships, and authentic love. If you're interested in getting more information, please click the link in the show notes for next steps. Thanks again for listening. It's our hope and prayer that this message would transform your life. For now, I just thank you so much for joining us this weekend. We're still just praising God for everything that he did last Sunday. We had baptisms last Sunday, and uh, we installed and gave a blessing over our, our new elder team. Elder is a church word for leader. And uh, I love what Jerry said. He's like kind of a, a, a church coach, a church mentor, a pastor's mentor, if you will. And he just laid it out so succinctly that, that elders are there to keep us accountable. Um, to, to help support us. They serve us, they help us as a team, and, and they also keep us accountable, and they serve you. It's kind of this great bridge that they're here to serve you and they serve us, and, and it's a beautiful picture of leadership. And I'm still praising God for all the things that happened Sunday. Such a, such a neat picture of the hope that we have. We just sang that song, the hope that we have. In this entire teaching series, The One, which is seven conversational evangelism principles, sharing that hope that we have. And every single one of us is called to conversation, that we want to adopt and own God's heart for those who need hope. Does everyone in here know at least one person who needs a little hope? Every single one of us does. I know that we do. No matter what age, we've got high schoolers and youth, junior hires in the room today. I'm so glad you guys are here. And we're going to be going through those principles. I'm going to get to principle number one in a minute. But first, why an evangelism series? You know? Like, isn't that just such a churchy thing to do? Yeah, just schedule it on the calendar. It's a church, so you got to do that one series where you tell people to talk about God. Just plug it in there, right? Put it in there somewhere where you can sneak it in. Guys, actually, I think it's more relevant than ever. There was a, a, a survey that went out by the most renowned kind of Christian demographics group recently, and, and it reported back that Almost 50% of millennials, now they're just picking on millennials, I think it's indicative of the broader population as well, but nearly half of people, 18 to 28, and now into their 30s, early 30s, even myself, think that it's offensive to share their faith. That's Christians. That's Christians responding and reporting to the survey. Said that as a Christian, I think it's actually offensive to share my faith with someone else. I think that statistic is offensive, okay? And so we're going to talk about that a little bit. This is a reason we need to talk about it. And what are the doctrines, the big church word for evangelism at this place? What's a doctrine? These are the foundational truths that govern our worldviews. Everyone in here has a worldview, whether you call it something or not, it's the lens by which you see the world and that impacts how you live, how you go do the action you take. And we need an appropriate lens for evangelism. It needs its place, just like the doctrine of the cross, the doctrine of salvation, the doctrine of, of communion. We're gonna take communion later. Someone had a great question earlier. Do I need to, what do I need to do to get in for communion? That's a great question. It's because we have these beliefs that govern and guard ourselves, and then we live based off of those beliefs, and we need a refresher course on evangelism, sharing our faith with others, talking about God with others. Because we may think that these truths are self-evident. We held them to be self-evident. If you had good news, if you had the good news of life-giving, life-saving power inside you, wouldn't you want to share it? Wouldn't you want to share it with someone who needs a little hope? Who needs that love that we sung about a second ago in that song? Wouldn't we want to share it? Maybe yes, 
Maybe yes, maybe no. I like the resounding yes, and that's where we're going, but maybe yes, maybe no. There's certain obstacles. There's barriers for all of us in the room, right? Any of us afraid of offending? Some of us resonate with that. Some of us are afraid of offending, just to be real. How many of us are afraid of failure? We don't want to get it wrong. We don't want to mess it up. How about uh, fear of not being qualified? I don't have the knowledge or the training or the skills to talk about God in a meaningful way with someone who doesn't know Jesus, who doesn't know the Bible. Some of you here might be afraid that you'd lose your job. That's a real fear for someone here. There might be still a handful of us in the room that think it's not my job, right? There's a paid church worker on stage right now. Like, that's what they're getting paid for, right? Is to do that work. Well, I don't know about that. Might need to massage these ideas a little bit. We want to work through those barriers together through this series. Are you guys game? Do you want to do that? Can we do that together? Awesome. Here we go. The big idea. You know, we're going to go through so many big ideas in these seven weeks, in these seven sessions. We're going to talk about um, if you're going to If you're going to show, if you're going to tell your faith, you better show your faith. Live it. Let's live it. We have a whole big idea that's around going out of our way. Sometimes we need to be inconvenienced to talk to someone about God. We have a whole chapter on table fellowship. Let's break bread. It's still the best social lubricant of all time. Invite yourself over. Invite them over. Break bread. Have a meal. I guarantee you God will give an inroad to talk about their belief systems and the things that matter most to them. I guarantee you. You break bread with someone. It's coming up. Open the word of God. That's one of the chapters. What if we just open this thing up and just let the power of this living, breathing thing speak? and be powerful in someone's life, as I've seen happen before my eyes. People coming to know Jesus just because of the words on the page in this book. And you know, another thing that we need to work through to prepare and get ready for these conversations is prayer. We need to pray, 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 pray first. That's the big idea for this morning. Before you talk about God, maybe we should check in with him every now and then, and we should talk to God. I mean, just think about it for a second, okay? Just think about your everyday lives. I'll go first. I'll share, okay? It's all right. It's all right. I'm just a man, too. I might be that church worker, but I'm a man, too. I'm the same man who not too long ago wasn't even praying before preparing for a message. I didn't think, oh, maybe I should go consult with the big man upstairs about this, about what he wants to say this Sunday. Not too long ago. And so if that's me, I can't imagine what's going on with you all when I'm the professional Christian. I don't know what's going on in your lives and your habits, right? If I'm not even praying for a message, where can we pray every single day? How about big meetings? We heading in, you, got, you, you men and women who are in the workplace, we heading into meetings just like, it's good, I got it. I got my plan, my vision, my details, my strategy for this meeting. Did we pause to invite God into that space? Did we pray first? How about just even starting your day? I'm fortunate enough to get two days off a week, and on one of those days, I'm linking arms with my wife, and we're parenting those kids at home together. I need prayer before I start that day, all right? My wife and I have seven kids, and I need to be going to God and saying, God, give me an extra portion of the stuff, whatever the stuff is, so I can get through this day right now, God. And you guys, likewise, are facing your own battles, aren't you? Every single day, facing a battle, sometimes hour over hour, might we pray first? Might we invite God into our day? So listen, big idea for week one is pray first. 
But can, can, I, can I just say something about prayer really quick, and, and then I'll preach a little bit? Is that all right if we talk about prayer? Because if we're going to have this thing, and it's like prayer specifically towards evangelism, let's pause and say, what, what do you mean by prayer even? Let's do that. Let's have, a, uh, let's have a refresher. Okay, and what better place to start than Jesus, the person of Jesus? Do, do you think that's a good place to start? Yes? You're with me? Let's talk about Jesus. Did Jesus love to pray? Did Jesus know how to stop? All the time. I love in Scripture. All the time. Jesus, it would say in the passage, in the Gospels, which are the biographies of Jesus' life. And then Jesus got away from the crowds. And then he, he told the disciples, let's push off for a second, just the 12 of us. I need a nap on the bow of the ship. I'm going to take a nap. And he got away to pray. And he got away to stop and be still and to be in silence. Jesus had a wonderful discipline of this. I think many times we believe that he just showed up on the scene as a 30-something and he was just, he, that he, it, all those disciplines and habits of prayer and time spent with the Father just came on him as a 30-year-old. You think that's, you think the habits just came on at early 30s? Yes? No? Check this out. There's a wonderful story. This is one of the few illustrations we have of Jesus as a boy. Some of you know where I'm going with this. Jesus was a boy, maybe a preteen, and he was traveling with his parents for one of the most premier Jewish festivals. Once a year, they would go for Passover to the capital city. And as a family, as a huge caravan, they would walk, and they would march up there to go and spend this time with the rest of their Jewish brothers and sisters, the rest of their family. And Jesus, we find out, gets lost, or at least his parents start the trek back home, and it's about halfway through they realize Jesus is missing from the group. So they're a little bit frantic. You know, it was not too unusual because they traveled as a huge group for kids to be traveling with other family members and the huge tribe going down. And so they go back and the, the scripture says that they're searching like for quite a while before they find him finally in where? In the temple, in the temple, in the temple courts, the, 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 the church of that era. And you know, we all get hung up. We think that the whole point of this verse is what it says next. It says, and there was Jesus caught up in essentially this theological debate with the religious leaders, with the Jewish elite. They were, they were just confounded by his wisdom and his knowledge and his questions. And we think, oh, there's the point of the story. But actually, I think the point of the story is what Jesus actually says out of the, out of the mouth of baby Jesus. Okay, not baby, but, but, but baby boy Jesus. From boy Jesus, what did he say? He says, didn't you know I must be in my father's house? Didn't you know I must be spending time with the father? Even as a boy. And you guys, I'll pause even within this tangent on what is prayer for a second and just explain why would God, what was so cool about the temple? This is why we need the Old Testament books. Again, for those who are newer to church, the Bible is one book, 66 books. And you have the, in the New Testament these real authors who wrote these real letters and books to a real audience. It's all historical. Likewise, in the Old Testament, we have these histories. And you have the Jewish people. And, and you have these Jewish leaders, David and Solomon. They build this temple. David thought he might be able to, but then it went to his son Solomon, these kings of Israel, to build a temple for the Lord. If we're going to understand why Jesus ran to the temple to be with the Father, you've got to understand a little something about the temple and this place and how that impacts us today even. See, Solomon builds this temple, and they finished the project. It took them seven years to create this beautiful masterpiece. But even they understood. Solomon and David, they understood. They said, God, they're speaking to God in a prayer. They said, God, like, even the heavens cannot inhabit you. So who are we to build a structure with our hands that you would then visit us and be with us? And yet what happens? Solomon finishes the project. They're having a church service. 
worship and prayer and a word and a cloud, a cloud, excuse me, a cloud descends on the temple. So they understood something. The Jewish tribe, these people of old, on into Jesus' own life, the temple courts. We find Jesus in the temple courts. Why? Was it important to pray for Jesus? Was it important to pray all the way going back to meet God in that holy place? Which, by the way, today, that holy place, that temple resides in you and in me. That's what Paul and the New Testament writers go on to say. We don't need that physical structure anymore. That, that holy place resides in me and you. That's crazy. We can draw on him in a moment, in any place. We can dwell richly, just like Jesus did, just like David and Solomon did. Okay, you know what else prayer is? Before we get into the actual specific evangelism prayers, you know what prayer is? Prayer is power. Prayer absolutely is power. I was born and raised a believer, so you'll have to forgive me if I come from this bias of prayer as routine, prayer as monotony, prayer as a holy huddle, prayer as paying lip service to God. That was my background. Up until even a year or two ago that I sit at the feet of another teacher, another coach, another trainer, and he said, listen, Ben, what happens in prayer is that you actually partner with the God of the universe that you link arms, you take hands with the God of the universe, the all-powerful, almighty, the miracle-working God. And together, wonders happen. Miracles happen. Signs, wonders. These, these magnificent things that we read about in the Bible that still happen on into this day. Someone said that, and then for some reason, I don't know, maybe I was just filled with the Holy Spirit for maybe even the first time, really. And I started to believe that, like a child. I started to believe, whoa, we can actually pray in expectation that God will move today, here and now, that the works he did 2,000 years ago, this, this New Testament gospel, you guys, is filled with signs and wonders. It's filled with works that Jesus did, that Jesus gets credit for, and yet he used his leaders, his followers, his church founders to partner with him in this miraculous work. If God never changes, I believe, we believe at Watermark, he's still in the business of doing those things. And so there's power in prayer. There should be expectation in prayer. I'm talking about even going to prayer, you guys, going to God in prayer and making declarations. Ooh, does that scare some of us? Some of us are kind of like, oh, I'm gonna, what, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna command God to do something? No, not so much. What happens if I, if I ask and I declare in Jesus' name for him to do something he already wants to do, something he's already about, that we already find in the character of God? Yes, it's in line with God's will. Here's what I was trained in. Maybe some of you were trained in this as well. Sometimes I just want to know who was the first Christian to say, Lord, if it is your will, go ahead and do this. If it is your will, heal this person. If it is your will, show me what step I should take in this business meeting. Lord, only if you want to do this, go ahead and show up and do it. Now, I'm not, I'm not shaming you because I was the same way. I was the same exact way. I would go to God and I would just check. Lord, just maybe if, with this big if lingering in the air. You know what that makes me think about now? Here's what it makes me think about now. This is not on the screen. We're going to get to the screen in a second. This is from Mark chapter 9. There's a, a, a man, his son is demon-possessed. He's sick, he's ill. He's got this bad spirit in and through him, and it causes danger and, and harm to his son. 
and the disciples can't do it. Disciples try and pray, like I'm saying right now, in expectation and faith, and it doesn't work. And sometimes it doesn't work, and that's okay. God's still on the throne, and he's still working in his own mysterious way. We can't figure God out. We'll never figure God out entirely. He's a mysterious God. And so they go to Jesus as the, as the backup. They have to, they're humbled. They need to go back to Jesus. And they asked Jesus. They brought the boy to him, verse 20. Mark chapter 9, verse 20. They brought the boy to him. When the spirit saw him, it immediately threw the boy into convulsions. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Yikes, right? How long has this been happening to him, Jesus asked his father. From childhood, he said. And many times it has thrown him into the fire or water to destroy him. My goodness, can you imagine the paralyzing fear? Can you imagine the trauma for this family? But if you can do anything, <laughs> but if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. I love Jesus' reply. This is textbook satire, Jesus. If I get sarcasm, it's from Jesus, okay? It's not, it's just, he did it first. That's where it came from. Jesus was not sarcastic, okay? He was pure. Verse 23, Jesus said to him, this is what he says, Jesus said to him, if you can, in quotes, he's, he's, he's telling the guy's quote back to him, if you, meaning if I can, everything is possible for the one who believes. Immediately the father of the boy cried out, I do believe, help me in my unbelief. How many of us have been there? I do believe, he cried out, but help me in my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was quickly gathering, he rebuked the unclean spirit. He said to it simply, this is not a long sermon. This is not a dramatic, um, emotional, crazy, room-shaking experience. He says in one sentence, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And he was healed. And the boy's healed. I don't know if we need to keep praying if it's your will. Here's a rec recommendation that I want to make for all of us in the room, if this has been your experience too. Do this instead. Read what Jesus did. Read what Jesus did. Learn about who God is. Learn a little bit about his character and his heart for people. Spend time with him. And you won't have to guess or reach for what his will is. You won't have to guess or reach for what his will is. You can just ask in Jesus' name. You can just declare in Jesus' name. Lord, I know you're about this work in my friend, my family, my, my worker, my co-worker's life. I know you're about this work, Jesus. So do it in Jesus' name. Let this person be healed of a headache, okay? Maybe it's not a demon possession. Of a headache. I prayed for a co-worker last week. Lord, please heal her of this headache. And it was gone. Whoa, that's awesome. That's so cool. Why, why couldn't that happen today? That we could pray in partnership with the will of God and the power of God and a headache could go away and he could get the credit. Wow, awesome. As small as something like a headache. Okay, so when I say pray first, can you just be with me on this? Can we be together on this for a minute? Let's be together. That's what we're talking about when we say let's pray first. Because before we talk about God with someone, let's talk to God. And there's specific areas that I want us to pray for in terms of evangelism. The first one is to pray for courage and for great signs and wonders. It may seem like so far out of our depth so far out of our experience, especially if you're newer to church. Actually, I love that. If you're newer to faith or you're new to church, you'll be like I was this last year, just believing, wow, if God could do this thing in me, he can do something in someone else. He can give someone else hope. And so that's maybe for the person who's new. You have this new faith and you're just like, let's just be willing to be a kid or a fool for Jesus. And it's okay if it doesn't work out perfectly. He can still be in the throne room. 
can still be in control. He has another plan that I don't know about yet. That's okay. It's okay to be in God's will and not know about his plan entirely. That's all right. But for the rest of us who are maybe a little bit like me, because I know about 80% of the room has been a believer for 20 years or more, you guys, we have to come to this agreement of praying for courage, for signs, and for wonders that God still works this way. And he still works here and now in our lives. Because here's what we've been fed. Hear me for a second. If you're like me and you've been a part of church for 20 plus years, we're believing God for the miracle of salvation because that's a miracle. When someone has a heart of stone and a heart of rock and I'm, I'm trusting myself for my own salvation or I'm trusting whatever other thing out here, my money or my home or my girlfriend or boyfriend or my car, whatever, to be, to be my salvation project, usually it's just us. It's usually just me. I'm trusting me for my salvation project. And then God invades that person's heart and says, no, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. You can only come to the Father through me. When that happens in someone's heart, that's a miracle. And you guys, as evangelicals, we're totally cool with that. We're good with the miracle of salvation, but nothing else. We're cool with that one moment, but God stops working after that moment of salvation. Is there no other sign or wonder or great work that he can do? Let's trust him for more than just that initial invasion of the soul. And that's no small thing. That's a dance party. Let's have a dance party when someone says yes to Jesus, when someone decides to come up here and get baptized, like last Sunday. Wonderful. But let's pray for that type of courage. Let's pray for for protection and covering because there's a lot more at play here than just training and knowledge. There is a spiritual battle happening. And that whole list I went through earlier, notice, it wasn't just... I don't have knowledge uh, in tactics. It wasn't just, um, I, I don't have the experience. It was fear of failure. It was fear of not having knowledge and experience. Fear of failure. And when there's fear involved, you know there's a spiritual battle being waged. Let's talk about that. And let's pray for one another. Let's build each other up. Okay, so the first reference is from Acts 4. You're going to find this in your workbook when you get a copy in the lobby. And the next week you come back and get your real live printed book You're going to find in chapter 1, pray first, pray bold prayers. We have the story of Acts chapter 4. I'll tell you what's going on really quickly so then we can get into the text. We have Peter and John. Peter and John, the early followers of Jesus, the founders of the early church. And in Acts 4, it's the history of the church beginning. There's the biographies of Jesus, and then in the book of Acts, it's on the run. People are gathering and teaching, and the church has begun as we basically know it today. People are gathering and hearing the word. They're gathering and talking about this new idea of Jesus who came, died, and rose again. Hope, truth, love, this, this gospel, all right? And John and Peter, Peter have just given this public sermon, which by the way, if you go open your books to Acts 4, you'll check it out. It's crazy. In Acts chapter 4, they're giving a sermon, this public declaration And many of those who heard the message believed, and the number of them came to about 5,000. They just preached Jesus crucified and Jesus raised, and and people came to know Jesus through just this basic message of his gospel, of, of Christ born, died, raised again. People came to believe. So Peter and John, just from proclaiming this message, they go to jail. In the first century, there's a lot of persecution against Christians. Before, it's at the hands of the Romans, it's at the hands of Jews, Because remember, the 12, Jesus himself, were Jews. Before they were Christians, they were Jews. Before that was even a name, they were Jews. And before the Romans started hanging them on crosses and and persecuting and and crucifying these new believers, it was the Jews, their their formal family. 
is now persecuting them, putting them on trial. So Peter and John go to trial, and they bring these two men before this very intense tribunal. It's the same intense and powerful court that tried Jesus on the Jewish side, not the Roman side, but the Jewish side. It's called the Sanhedrin. It's a bunch of holy, huddle, gnarly Jewish guys putting these guys on trial. They've spoken boldly, and their their message is clear. Jesus is real. You killed him. He rose again, and he's roaring with power. That's their message. So the council, they convene. This is wonderful. This is my favorite part. And they say, well, what do we do, man? These guys are legit. They're they're just too legit to quit. They're, they're legit. They're, there's not, but let's tell them to quit anyway. That's what they decided to do. Let's tell them to stop doing what they're doing. So Peter responds, you can kill us before we'll do that. You can just go ahead and kill us because we only do what God says. When God says jump, we say how high. We only listen to him. And then they let him go anyway. Here's where we find the passage, okay? This is from Acts 4. This is what they say. They get released from prison. They almost lose their lives. And this is the first thing they do. Verse 23. When they were released, Peter and John went to their fellow believers and reported everything what the high priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices to God with one mind and said, Master of all, you who made the heaven and the earth, the sea, and everything in them. They praise. They go to worship. They go right here to this place. And they go to worship. Now they're in prayer, verse 29. And now, Lord, pay attention to their threats and grant to your servants to speak your message with great, what? With great, what? Courage. Courage. While you extend your hand to what? Heal. And to bring about what? Miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. When they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God courageously. Wow, not Lord, save us and, and you know what, take us now and save us from this persecution. Transport us by your miraculous power and put us in another place because this is getting too heated. No, pray for courage and for signs and wonders and miracles. If anyone had reason to fear, you guys, it's these guys, okay? This is an intense environment where people are getting chopped down and killed left and right. It's a gnarly environment. If anyone had reason to fear, it was them in the first century, to be a Christ follower. Here's what I want to say, verse 20. If you look at verse 20, we cannot stop speaking of what we have seen and heard. And I just want to put such a haunting question. I'm sorry to do it, but I'm just going to put such a haunting question on your heart right now because it's the same one that haunts me and I want us all to struggle with this question in earnest. I want us to absolutely wrestle this question to the ground. Is that still true of us? that we cannot stop talking about what we've seen or heard. Is that still true for us in this room? That we cannot stop talking about what we've seen and heard. Did God only show up in your life those 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago when you came to know him for the first time on your baptism? Did he just show up that one time and then say, peace out, you got it from here? Or did he show up last week? Did he show up this morning when you were loading the kids into the car? Did he show up the other day at that business meeting? Did he show up in that conversation recently? See, again, this was just my journey. That's all I can do. I can just preach from my experience. And from my experience, I think I was thinking that uh, the things that God was doing in my daily life, just from waking up in the morning on the right side of the bed, I was thinking maybe they're too small to talk about. Maybe they're too small to give God credit for or to share with someone else about how God just invaded my life and my day radically. 
by allowing me to have a great God conversation with someone. We don't have to think that way anymore. From the small to the large, God is doing work that can be seen and heard. And then there are actual prayers, verse 29 and 30, the actual prayers of boldness, signs, and wonders. You know what signs and wonders are for? Because you're going to hear about this probably a little bit more around Watermark, and we want to just take you by the hand, and let's walk this journey together about the miraculous and the supernatural. When God invades the natural realm, which is just how the earth works and human biology works and how the, how the world and the universe spins naturally, when he makes an invasion on that, does something supernaturally, healing that boy, healing the headache. We want to we talk about that and kind of go through that together. And the one thing I want you to understand very early on about why healing and why a miracle it is always to pave the way for something spiritual. It is always to make a heart soft to him. Physical leads to the spiritual. That's the whole point. It's never just about, oh, man, my arm works again. Man, that headache is gone. Man, I was cured from cancer. I went for one scan, and there it was. I went for another scan, and it's disappeared. There is no natural explanation for that. Anyone know a story like that? There's someone in here that knows a story like that. There's a big percentage of people that have heard something like that. It's inexplicable, and it's the hand of God working and moving. But it leads to something else. There's a guy who was up here just last Sunday. I'll keep telling his story. I'm never going to stop telling his story. His name's Ronnie. He was baptized. He talked about how he was shot and how he lived a life of crime and addiction and craziness. And God met him. And he asked God, he said, God, I just need to see something from you. Oh, but only if it's your will. No, this guy cried out. I need to see something from you as a child. And God shows up and heals him miraculously. Takes this bullet that was lodged in his skin for years, comes out of his body miraculously. And this guy is on fire now. He runs home that day after praying. And I got the opportunity to pray with him at Starbucks. And he runs home and he says, dude, God is real. Wow. And his heart is invaded by the spirit of God. He has new life. He has new mission. He has new story to share. It wasn't just about his physical wellness. It was about what God wanted to do with the story and other people's lives even spiritually. So it's always to pave the way for soft hearts. Just so you know if we're going to be talking about this miraculous thing. Yes, and there's another thing we need to do. We need to pray for protection and for covering. As I said, you guys, this is a battle. If fear is involved, there is a battle. And I want to tell you, we have, we have great training. We have great tactics, spiritual tactics that we can take. And this is from Paul in the book of Ephesians, Ephesians 6. You know this classic passage. Here's what Paul says. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world rulers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. For this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to stand your ground on the evil day and having done everything to stand. Verse 14, stand firm, therefore. He's going to give a prescription. He's going to talk about the spiritual reality of our existence and then he's going to give a prescription. Here's what I think you ought to do. By fastening the belt of truth around your waist. By putting on the breastplate of righteousness. Let's start over, and you guys are going to say it with me, each one of the articles of armor, okay? By fastening the, fastening the belt of? Around your waist, by putting on the breastplate of? By fitting your feet with the preparation that comes from the good news of? And in all this, by taking up the shield of? With which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, and take the helmet of? And the sword of? Which is the word of? <laughs> I tricked you. There was a double of on that last one. We got spirit and we got the word of God. Here's what I want to say quickly. The spiritual realm is real, isn't it? I mean, it is. Every one of us has a soul. 
If you're newer, let's just do a real quick cursory glance at this. Every single one of us has a soul. So, therefore, what's implied is that there's something spiritual behind that. There's something unseen from that which is seen. Paul said that. You look around the whole world. You look at relationships, connections. You look inside yourself, and there's planted inside you a seed of something higher, greater, bigger outside yourself. So it's an intensely, directly spiritual realm. And not only that, there's an enemy, the devil, Satan. Now listen, nothing spooky or kooky about that for a second. We know who wins the battle. We know who wins the battle. We actually sang a song just, just minutes ago that expresses the truth of Matthew 16. You can go and look, up, you can look it up. And actually Jesus to Peter says, Peter, I'm going to build this church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We know the outcome. We know the answer. So you read this verse or any other verse or you hear a message and we're talking about spiritual battles and the enemy and the evil one and darkness and the dark realm. You think, well, it's okay. It's real, yeah. But we know who wins. We know whose foot is on top of that enemy. You guys have to know that, okay? Just let that be a part of our training and our tactic. If we have fear, it's not from God. It's not from God that gives fear. If you have condemnation and guilt, it's not from God. Okay, it's from an enemy. And we have 1,500 tiny little insidious little lies that the enemy wants to plant in our hearts and our minds to take us away from reaching the one, the person who needs hope. You have hope inside you. I have hope inside me. And it's most often not from this huge, deceptive thing that the enemy is up to, but the small, little, insidious, daily distractions and lies from the enemy that we believe. I'm a new believer. I don't know enough. I'm an old believer. I don't have enough training. If I'm going to talk to this person, I can't screw it up. I've got to get it perfectly right. They must come to know Jesus and give their whole life to him today. They must figure out all the mysteries of the Bible today. No, that's a lie from the pit of hell. It's not from God. So we have these distractions every single day that the enemy would be so thrilled if we did not share that hope that we have inside of us. Like truth. Truth. We have the truth, and yet we live in the era of half-truths and gray areas. Just before service, again, I was talking about it with, with one of our leaders. And, and I think probably that one of the biggest lies is that we can do it ourselves. I don't think the average person that we know that we talk to, friends, family, coworkers who don't know Jesus, that their biggest battle is some extreme addiction or some just the, the enemy is terrorizing them and, and, and they have this idol worship or whatever it is. It's just that little tiny insidious little lie that says, I'm good, I can fix myself, I can save and rescue myself, and I'm relying on myself for the life that comes after this. We have to be about truth in the world. Peace. Does anyone think in our era of anxiety and depression being at all-time highs, all-time highs, anxiety and depression, that we need to pray first for the protection and covering of peace? Do you think, for those of us who know someone who struggles with anxiety and depression, by the way, you know how severe it is for them. You know how heavy it is, the weight and the burden that they have. Do you think that if we prayed for them, and just if God decided in that moment to heal them of their anxiety and depression, and let's say that they're a non-believer, they don't know Jesus, they don't know the Bible, they don't know church, 
Do you think that something's going to be radically altered in their whole world if God miraculously moves on their bodies and in their minds and in their chemical processes and gives them a fresh wiring and a fresh brain and a fresh heart? Do you think that something might miraculous could, could happen in their salvation, in their spirit, in the spiritual realm? Should someone be delivered from something like that physically? It's incredible, you guys. You could pray prayers of peace for people. You have the power, not just the professional from the stage. You have the power to pray peace over people's lives and that God would exchange that anxiety for peace, that he could do that in a miraculous way. Today, it could happen. And if it doesn't, exactly how you thought and exactly in that time, we'll keep praying, we'll keep expecting, and we'll keep trusting God to do what he's doing in the life of that person. Sure, absolutely we will. His will will be done. It's not about an if or a when or a but. or a, It's, it's going to be done no matter what. Faith. I love the story that Ed Salas tells. This is a man from another church who did our prayer training. Here's what I want you to think. I've already talked about this a lot this morning. I guess this morning a lot of the message was about faith and expectation as we pray. And he tells this great um, metaphor. That prayer with us and God is like a mouse and an elephant walking across a bridge. And the mouse gets to the other side of the bridge and says, man, did you feel what I did? Because we're the mouse and God is the elephant. And when we pray, we have tremendous power at our backs. We have tremendous power in our prayers of expectation and faith. If we believe like that mouse, that yes, God could do it. He's powerful and big and he's huge and he wants to work. What could happen in our prayers of faith? And of course, salvation. It's a wonderful thing we're supposed to live with. You guys, uh, we live with such a spirit of condemnation. That's another one of the lies of the enemy. That's another one of his arrows that he wants to shoot at you and at me. I'm not enough. I can't do it. I don't have the training. I might fail. Those are lies, again, from the pit of hell, that we're condemned, that we're not good enough, that we don't know how. Those are lies. And we must never forget our salvation, okay? That Jesus, that Paul, he said that from the moment we believe, we're declared righteous. We have right standing, we are called sons and daughters of the Most High God. These lies are just going to bounce off of us with the salvation. And of course, we have the Spirit-filled Word, which we're going to talk about more later in this series, that could we just trust the Word of God, that if we open it, that when we read these words, that power will go forth in a mysterious way, in a crazy kind of uncanny way, but just speaking these words into the air, that there will be power. The last thing we need to do is pray for one another. Before service, after service, at lunch, in homes, in small groups, for our kids, to lay hands on our friends, to our church family members, and to pray for them, that God would give them courage, that God would give them the words. This is what Paul said. Guys, you can come up from the band as we wind down. Verse, uh, this is the same chapter, the, the, the armor that we're putting on from chapter 6. You look further down to verse 18. This is what Paul says. With every prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And do this... And to this end, be alert with all perseverance and requests for all the saints. That's fellow believers, Christians. Pray for one another. Pray for me also that I may be given the message when I begin to speak. That I might confidently make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may be able to speak boldly as I ought to speak. So yes, persevere, you guys. Keep going. Keep going. Don't give up. Don't give up. That first God conversation, you may think it didn't happen the way you thought, and so it's over. 
This morning on the way to church, I had a conversation with someone like that, and he just kind of wasn't quite getting it. I had prayed for him once, and then I had a meeting with him at his office, and we're talking about it, and just kind of nodding his head, but, you know, he hasn't come to church yet. And so, of course, what am I thinking? Ah, it hasn't, it hasn't stuck. He didn't get it. What's going on? And I just prayed for that seed, the perseverance on God's time and in God's way. Yes, give us the words that we need. Yes, give us confidence and mystery. Yes, give us boldness and courage. And then also this tiny little nugget, Paul says, and always praying in the Spirit. What does that mean, to pray in the Spirit? Well, the most helpful picture for me that comes from Scripture is that there are essentially two options for us, you guys. And this has really been the big idea this morning in terms of before talking about God, to talk to God. When we're talking to God, there's essentially two places we can come to God in, from two hearts. We can come to heart in His Spirit, and we can come to God in our flesh. That's the Bible word for uh, human effort, uh, my own human ability, Ben, okay? Instead of the Spirit of God inside me, which we call the Holy Spirit. And essentially what I think Paul is alluding to in this picture is those are our two options for coming to God. When we come to God, we can just say, man, and take, this is my weakness. This is my issue. I just need to say all the beautiful words to you because I'm a preacher. And if I say the beautiful words, someone will hear them and be impressed. Is that praying in the flesh or is that praying in the spirit? Yeah, flesh. It's praying in the flesh because I think my, the words need to be heard? No. Praying in the spirit says, Lord, it won't be fancy. It may not be long-winded, but I can just come to you in a simple word from your word, and I can just ask you to move. I can ask you to come. I can ask you to heal right now because I believe that's what you want for this person. I can ask for a new heart for someone who doesn't know you, that you'll turn their heart from a heart of stone to, to a soft heart, a heart of flesh. And that's the option that we have every time we come before him. Do we come to him in deference? Lord, your will be done. Do we come to him in communion? God, I just love to be with you right now. Thank you for seeing me. Thank you for loving me. And here's a kicker. Do we come for him? This is what I meant earlier by declaring. Do we plead the promises of God with boldness and assurance? It's not our request. If you think when we go and we make demands of God or we make declarations to God, it's not even us, it's Him. He's the one that went first and said it. Jesus was the one who went first and said it. We're only repeating what He said in those requests, in those demands of God in prayer. All we're doing is repeating what He already did and said. Can we do that in, in the prayer of our spirit? When we come to when we pray in the spirit, here's, here's a couple action items I want to give you and then we'll keep worshiping. In my study last week, I came across this quote from a famous uh, preacher, Martin Lloyd-Jones. He said, don't deny an impulse to pray. It's not on the screen, so I'll say it one more time because I know it's what you need to hear this morning. Do not deny an impulse to pray. I shared with you earlier that about a year and a half ago, I started this relationship with Jesus where I was starting to believe the power of prayer that he actually wanted to show up in tangible ways. And then all of a sudden, this nagging voice at the grocery store across the, the meat counter with the guy. And the guy's like, yeah, my brother, you know, he's on the list to get a new kidney. And I'm like, dude, dude, 
I know it's weird, but dude, I, can I just pray for you right now? Like, I don't, it won't be weird. I won't even close my eyes. I'll just keep my eyes. It'll just take a few seconds. But can I just pray for you right here at the market? Like, maybe he can get bumped up on the list and God can give him a kidney. And I just pray. I don't know the outcome, so I'll spare you. Okay, the applause. I don't know what happened, but I'm just starting to do that. I'm at the beach the other day. We're going there, for, like, for, as a staff day just to get some rest. And the guy's talking about the stand-up paddleboard. And, and, and all of a sudden, he's like, yeah, I can't surf anymore because I have this back pain. And I'm like, oh. Okay, God, all right, cool, cool. He's got pain. You want me to pray for him? Okay, let's do it. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm not controlling outcomes. I don't have to control outcomes. God can still be on the throne. All I'm meant to do is I have this prompting that I have to pray for this guy right now. Okay, so let's pray for your back. I just met him. And was he healed on the beach that day? No, not entirely. Did it feel a little bit better? Yeah, okay. Is that the seed of healing that's going to come to pass? Yeah, maybe. And it starts this God conversation. This guy doesn't know Jesus. Oh, so you're a minister? You're an evangelist? Well, I don't know if I'd call myself that. But I'm just here to pray today, dude. I just, I'm just here to pray. And he wants to talk about homosexuality. And he wants to talk about the church being so judgmental. He wants to talk about his personal life and the harms that he's experienced at the hand of the church. Are you kidding me? Because I responded to the prompt just to pray for the pain. That I was able to have this God conversation. I don't know what I'm doing. I know I'm the preacher up here today. That just so happens to be the case. But I, I don't know what I'm doing. All I get is this prompt, this impulse to pray. Guys, if we leave here today, can we just please agree that we won't deny that impulse to pray? I don't care if you've been a believer for one week or 20 plus years. If you feel the need in that moment to pray, you won't have the words. But guess what? We pray like Paul to get the words. And it's going to be crazy what happens because God will give you the words to speak. Can we agree when we leave here, we won't deny the impulse to pray? Can we? Just clap right now if you can agree that you're in agreement. We're not going to deny the impulse. Oh, man. And one more piece of homework. I want you to go to this website, blesseveryhome.com, blesseveryhome.com. This is not a shameless plug. This is not a sales pitch. This is just a wonderful organization that will literally send you the names and addresses of your neighbors, and you can pray for them. You just know who they are, and you can pray for them. Just to your inbox. You can subscribe. You can sign up. And it's going to send you this reminder to pray for your neighbors. Guys, watch what happens. I started praying this way, and God, just with just these people come out of nowhere. I'm not the one doing it. And this person's sitting down, and all of a sudden they're sharing these personal things. And I'm like, oh, there's nothing else I can do with that except for pray. Because God's teeing it up. He's just teeing it up. And then you're there, and you have an opportunity to link arms with him and do something. He's going to do that with your neighbors. And you pray this prayer, Ezekiel eleven nineteen. I will give them a new heart and a new spirit. I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. Wow, they're going to have new hearts. Just watch what happens as you start praying for your neighbors, as you start praying for your family members, as you start praying for strangers. This is a ministry that God just dropped in my plate. This is randos, okay? Total random people. They're just coming forth and you get to pray for them. It doesn't matter how you look. Guys, it doesn't matter how you look if someone gets to meet Jesus. Is that right? Is that true? If someone gets new hope and a new relationship and they get, to, they get a ticket to ride, they're with the Father forever in eternity, does it matter how we look or sound anymore? It doesn't. It can't. We're willing to look a fool. We're willing to, as I say about my father-in-law and co-pastor over here, he's just dumb for Jesus. This guy can't help it. He's going around, he's praying for people in his workplace. He doesn't care how he looks anymore. Like, can we join arms in that this morning as we go forth tomorrow and we start the day and we say, God, give me eyes. Who is it that you want me to pray for, Lord? 
I can't just, I won't be able to put in my path, so I can't deny it's you in this person, God. And then when you hear that voice, it says, you gotta pray. Go ahead and pray for him. You can do it. And you're gonna say yes. And watch what happens. That's how faith works. That faith of expectation, that faith of belief, when you go and practice it, God just gives you a portion. He gives you another dose of faith to do it again and again and again. I want you to soar with me in this new chapter of faith and expectation. Just watch what God does. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for this word of prayer. Thank you that that's the building blocks. Thank you that that's the first step of having God conversations. Before we're going to talk about you, Lord, we need to talk to you. And we need to invite you into the conversation before, during, and after. Let us be a praying people in Jesus' name. Let us be a praying people. For the people that that want healing right here this morning, Lord, bring them forward after service so we can pray for them. And they can be a living testimony. They can just be a story on two feet that goes forth so that your name can be known more and more and more in Costa Mesa and in Orange County. I pray that would happen in your name. Thank you for this worship service. Thank you for this communion that we take. Let it do something to us supernaturally that when we take communion today, it'd be like no other time before that we would be charged up to go on mission tomorrow, Monday morning and that your name wouldn't be known in a new way. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. We hope that this message has challenged and encouraged you. If you need prayer, would like to join a small group community, or are interested in partnering with our work throughout Costa Mesa and Orange County, please go to watermarkoc.com. We would love to start a conversation.